Hello and welcome to the Wow at Work podcast. I'm Stephen Dargan. And I'm Liliana Ashton. So happy to have you here. Delighted to have you here today as well. And today uh, we're going to start off with a wonderful uh, breathing exercise introduced by Liliana. Thank you, Stephen. Just before we go into our main topic of the day, happiness at work, I would like to take three minutes to practice box breathing. Box breathing is the most simple but powerful breathing exercise to reduce stress, lower your heart rate and calm your mind to improve concentration. It involves visualizing a box which we will trace with our breaths. We will trace this box as we count to four to inhale, four to hold, four to exhale and four to hold again. But don't worry, I will guide you through it all so you don't need to remember it right now. But before we begin, let's arrive here on your chair or wherever you are listening to this podcast episode from. Just for the next three to four minutes and to make the most of this short but powerful practice, I invite you to sit relatively straight, to not collapse your lungs and allow for the free flow of your breath through your body. Now, let's close your eyes gently, close your mouth and breathe calmly through your nose at your own pace to start with. Keeping your eyes closed, let's do this again two times. start our box breathing exercise. Visualize in your mind a beautiful square shape. We will trace this square starting at the bottom left of the square and as we trace the left side of the square, breathing gently through your nose. Four, three, two, one, hold. Visualize tracing the top side of your square. Two, one, exhale. As you trace the right side of your square. Three, two, one, hold. Four, three, two, one, and you are back at the left corner of your square. Let's do this box breathing two more times. Start again. Inhale. Hold. Exhale. Four, three, two, one. Hold. Draw the bottom. Hold. And two more times. Inhale. Hold. 
wonderful Liliana oh that just felt so good and a great addition to what we're going to be talking about we're going to get more in depth into what breathing um, is and how it affects us or enhances us positively we're going to talk a little bit about that later thank you Stephen but tell me what is happiness at work happiness is such a subjective thing it's so different to so many people what they perceive it to be happiness at work I think has become uh, quite topical And rightly so, over the last 10 or so years, I've certainly been studying it for the last 10 years. Um, And I wouldn't have known about this. I first, um, when I worked in sort of leadership myself, I worked for a very old school school. I probably had very old school training when it came to management, very top down approach. So it was only in the the late 90s that I first came across uh, workplace happiness as an actual concept. And certainly for the last 10 years, I've looked more in depth into it. And really what the concept around uh, workplace happiness is, it's about creating organizations where people feel good about themselves. And that's the goal of a really good leader, to be able to do something like that, to make people feel good about themselves. Because when we feel best about ourselves, there's certain things that go on in our body that enhance um, our ability, our our body to be able to uh, come up with solutions, to be creative, uh, to get on with others. All those different types of things work when we feel less stressed. So when we feel good about ourselves and we create an atmosphere, an environment where people feel good about themselves, all those things begin to change. But happiness at work too is also feeds into other areas too as well. It's also, I need to be in a workplace and specifically because this always worked for me, that when I'm given clear guidelines of what my job role is or what I need to be able to do, and I'm given the tools to be able to execute that. That also works for me. So now I'm clearer about what I'm required to do when I come into work and I, I, I know how to execute my job. This, the second area that I see that's really vitally important is, is being able to play to what we call our strengths. And that's the things that we're good at. Those two areas are really important, but there are more areas that fall into happiness at work. So it's not just that. The other areas that are vitally important when it comes to this are areas like um, good communication between, you know, management and the, um, the people that work in the organization. And you've got to really have good communication lines open up so the people that work within the organization have an idea of what's going on. They have a sense of belonging. And one of the things that I always say to, to organizations is give the employees as much information as you possibly can. 
give them ways so that they can understand what the financials means rather than just putting up graphs and charts and that kind of stuff. Explain what's going on in as simple terms as possible. And I think when you do that, people have a sense of, uh, of understanding that there's a higher purpose or there's a greater purpose with the organization. So they're aware of where the company is heading towards. And there's nothing really hidden. I'm not saying that everything is told, but pretty much everything is open. So being as open as transparent as possible. So make it easy for those people to be able to understand what's going on. So are we saying then that the sense of belonging really matters in an organization to make teams and individuals happy in a workplace? More than ever. Now, at this moment in time, that sense of belonging is really important. And the unfortunate thing is over the last 15 months, we haven't had a chance to be able to, we have these sort of small micro belonging cues that we sort of set out when we're around teams of people. It might be just, you know, a high five, it might be a hug, it might be just, you know, a glance or whatever, you know, but we get that when we interact closely with teams and all the best teams in the world will have that. Like Daniel Coyle has written a, a brilliant book called The Culture Code, which goes deeper into this. And he's got, you know, teams like Pixar who do this quite a lot. The Navy SEALs do this quite a lot. And we as humans like to have this sense of belonging no matter where we are, because that's what we're built on. We're built on connections to other people. So unfortunately, over the last 15 months, we've been in this isolated experience of work where a lot of us have been working remotely from home and not getting the chance to be able to have those interactions with other people. So it's been on the screen, but it hasn't been the same. It's those small little interactions on the screen don't give us the same effect that we have when we're, when we're closer around people. Absolutely agree with that. And of course, you mentioned about uh, communication and making sure that, that the whole team and all the teams around an organization are at the same level of understanding of the key information, including financials. Would that be also linked to communication leading to higher trust? Trust more than ever is important. And trust needs to be earned. Um, years ago, it was a given that trust was, was was taken. If you think about the officers in the First World War sending uh, soldiers over the trenches to go and fight, and nobody could question because you'd either be court-martialed or shot in those situations. We, we don't have that form of leadership, thank God, anymore. So things have changed. And we live in a world where there's more transparency. So, you know, we we know more about, you know, what, what goes on and management styles and, 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 and all of those different areas. So trust has to be earned. And it usually comes from us allowing for vulnerabilities. So us coming from a very human side. And before, for for many years, management were seen as these people that were high up, that were called Mr. whatever it might have been, Mr. Dargan or Mr. Ashton or whatever it might have been, but were never recognized as real humans. They weren't given a first name. And, and that's all began to change. If you think of the best societies in the world, they, they have high levels of trust. If you go up to the Nordic countries, that's built into societies. A good example of that would be the fact that everybody's tax is available for everybody else to see. If you're a, a citizen of Norway, you just go online and you can check to see what your neighbor's tax uh, payments were for the last year. And I think that goes all the way up to the king or uh, uh, the royal family in Norway. You can actually access what they, what they paid. That's a level of trust that we should have in organizations. And it takes a while to be able to build that trust. But it's very easy for it to, it to be broken quite quickly as well. It's, uh, it's one of those key pillars, I suppose, to also creating psychological safety. So talking about psychological safety, do you think that is a factor in the workplace happiness too? Definitely. And I think that's something we're going to touch on later too as well. But I think psychological safety has... has, has it is pretty, pretty new since about 1999, uh, Amy Edmondson first, uh, she's a Harvard professor who first looked into this, began to, to, to see the value of creating an environment where it's okay to be able to speak up. 
that your voice matters, that we all matter. So that when you come to a meeting, speaking up and saying, I don't know if I quite agree on this, or I'm a bit uncomfortable in the, with, with this, creating environments that allow that to happen are, are key, more than ever. When you think of so many different environments that have, have not allowed this to happen, investment banks probably wouldn't be very good, good at that. Nobody was willing to be able to speak up for fear that they would lose their job. Um, Enron would have been a good example of that, where there would have been no psychological safety. And even sort of, you know, quite recently, we talk about BrewDog and we talk about the, the employees in BrewDog, you know, not happy with the working environments, not happy with some of the things that the, uh, the founders in the organization did that sort of stepped on the values of what the organization uh, pertained to be. There's a lot of work that needs to be done that to create that psychological safety, but they're the best environment. So everybody gets a voice, the introverts, the extroverts, everybody. So you get more of those creative ideas. We don't lose stuff there because we don't have, we have somebody in the team who is a fear of speaking up or just isn't as out, outspoken as others. Absolutely. This is so important. All of these areas that you just touched upon and uh, there is so much more to say about each one of them, I suppose, but a sense of belonging, um, the importance of trust in, in the modern day work place and also psychological safety all of them i can see being so important in in this new hybrid modern workplaces and there's so much more that goes into workplace happiness we've just touched on some of that today and today is an introduction to that but also today is an introduction to the fact that um we have a breathwork specialist in yourself here <laughs> and this is something that I've been very interested in for about seven or eight years. Um, and I've been interested in it on sort of a, an outside level. And I never went as deep as, as, as you've gone with it. And it's something that I do practice. And I find it really, really interesting how breathwork can enhance our life. And one of the things that I do talk uh, to companies about is, is about productivity hacks and certain things that can sort of make us feel more focused. It's a really difficult one, like, you know, and how do we even measure productivity in, in many ways? But one of the things that I find that helps me become more focused is the use of something that we have in readily supply is, is, is our breath. So asking you as the expert, what are the benefits that we receive from breath work? Such a good question. Wow. Where shall I start? And as you say, energy supply. And some people say flying high on your own supply. It's true because actually breathing is our main source of energy, not just food or sleep, as you may think. But with the right breathing techniques, we can regulate our nervous systems, we can optimize the nutrients that we absorb and also improve our sleep. When we exhale, we release toxins. When we inhale, we increase the levels of oxygen in our bodies, which has been proven to have beneficial effects against even developing cancer cells. So yes, breathwork is a wonderful practice. Our breath is a wonderful tool that we each of us have readily available within ourselves. So it is really breath work is a, is, is a unique tool to relieve stress as well, to really re release um, and relieve tension, but also to energize you, as, as mentioned. And of course, it needs no special equipments or places, just you and your breath to do it. So have most of us really over the years, have we been breathing the wrong way? 
should we be breathing out through our nose and into our mouth or should we just breathing out through our nose all the time or is it the other way around? Ha. In short, we should always try to breathe through the nose. Just remember this little mantra. Nose is for breathing, mouth is for eating. For clarity though, I should also point out here that there are more advanced breathing techniques which are performed in a controlled manner that specifically utilize both the nose and the mouth or just the mouth. One of these techniques is the Wim Hof breathing technique, normally used to create heat in the body, hyperoxygenate the bloodstream before, for instance, cold immersions. I use this before I go into cold immersions. There is also conscious breathing techniques. These are normally used for trauma release therapy. These are more advanced breathing techniques that I will be delighted to cover during our next episodes. But going back to your question, Stephen, as to whether we've always been breathing incorrectly, and I would actually say no. And why I say this is because most of us were born perfect breathers. If you can watch a small baby, just observe their little tummies as they inflate and deflate like natural little balloons. They model this perfect diaphragmatic breath or belly breath that we should all as adults try to keep or try to relearn this relearning of the lost art of breathing like the author James Nestor in his book Breath describes. But as we grow, normally from babies to adults, we pick up bad breathing habits, we forget this beautiful art of breathing. We find ourselves experiencing minor upsets. We have traumas, we have fears. We pick up all of these things in our beautiful journey, in this beautiful life. When this happens, we tend to hold our breaths or start to breathe fast from our chest area and perhaps even through our mouths. That's what we do normally or naturally without thinking, without really thinking about our breath in this unconscious system that is our breath as well. So another bad breathing habit could come from the workplace, workplace interactions and our own assumptions that we cannot express ourselves freely for fear of negative consequences or negative stigma. So we hold back and this prevents emotions from exciting our bodies. All these potential situations involving holding back, not expressing ourselves fully, create poor breathing patterns in our adults' lives. This in turn, of course, affects our physical and emotional health. So in short, Stephen, as we grow older, life changes, as we know, and we need to deal with more stress and unexpected circumstances. This puts our autonomic nervous system in a state of fight and fly mode, a survival mode which activates this sympathetic nervous system. I should add here that a small amount of stress is fine. We are made to deal with stress effectively since our brains are wired up to survival and to keep us alive. The problem starts when stress becomes high and constant with this 
high levels of cortisol are released into our bloodstream, causing a number of stress-related problems in our mental and physical health. So this is where our breath and our breathwork practices will come to help and to make a real difference. And now that we're talking about the whole idea of workplace happiness and how to create workplaces where people feel good about themselves, how can the breath at work enhance what we do there? To run successful businesses, we need energy and focus. And the latest studies show that most adults only get about 25% of the air capacity that is essential to fuel their minds and bodies. That is not enough. And this leads to low immune system, lack of energy, lack of grounding, lack of focus. So by incorporating breathwork practices into your business as usual activities, you can and your teams can learn the breathing patterns to have more energy, to become more resilient, to feel happier and to connect between themselves and connect with your clients better. So yeah, and to become less stressed. Stress is a, is it's not all bad. We're okay with some stress. It's how we deal with the stress. So with, through being able to manage this conscious breathing, this, this autonomic nervous system, and I will talk more about it later, we can reduce the way we interact or within ourselves, we, the way we are affected by stress and anxiety because they interfere with, of course, our ability to do our best work. Fantastic. Well, how did you get, how did you get into breath work? It was a long journey. I started 10 years ago in South America because I am from South America originally. I was born there, although my home is now the UK. And uh, yes, in South America, I had um, an amazing guru, someone that have written many, many books about breathing and, and yoga and, and creatives and teached its own yoga methods, very well known in the Yoga Alliance. And yes, I went to, to learn there 10 years ago, my first um, yoga and breathing techniques uh, trainings. And since then, every time I had any time available and throughout my daily life, I've always prioritized learning and practicing breath work and yoga. So now it has become my focus in my in my life. The, the amount that is there is still to learn is unbelievable. It's just how they say, um, the more you know and the more you learn, the more you realize that you know not enough. And this is how I feel. I'm so passionate about breath work. I think I I have learned a lot thanks to my all my teachers and all the books, but I'm still learning. But I was just wondering, you know, with your experience and your amazing ability to go into businesses and transform them to be build them into happier workplaces, could we go to discuss the present situation? The last 15 months has seen the world in an unexpected way. How has work adapted to what has happened? Oh, it's been absolutely nuts the last 15 months, hasn't it? And who could have predicted how crazy it would have turned? It's just turned absolutely wild when you think about, like, if two years ago you had said to your boss, you know, I'm thinking of working remotely, they probably would have looked at you as if you had, you know, two heads and had asked for a million pound bonus or something like that. 
And they said, that's not going to happen. It's amazing how things can happen when they need, uh, you know, to respond to, to, to a crisis. And the crisis was huge. And here we are. And we've come through 15 months of work of working, you know, in kitchens and spare rooms and bedrooms and wherever we can work. And it's only now we're slowly beginning to filter ourselves back into the workplace with a lot of trepidation, very nervous about going back into the workplace. Like we've had this sort of very new, different life where we haven't had to commute. Like the, 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 there's been give and take over the last 50 months. There's been advantages or pros and cons, as we might call it. The cons have been quite huge and I don't need to explain what they are. But the pros have been the likes of we're no longer now you know, sitting in, you know, trains and making our way to, to cities or we're driving in cars for an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back. So that commute has gone and it feels kind of nice that everything sort of finishes the minute you press off on your Zoom button or your Microsoft Teams or whatever it might be. There's no commute needed. You're home. You're there. And that's kind of nice. The problem, I suppose, is, is how do we integrate? How do we how do we come back into the, the, the world of work again? How do we, you know, do we enter back into working in the office again, just as it was normally before. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, how are we going to manage that possibility? It's going to be up to companies. But there's some really good stuff came out. I know there's a report that came out there from Microsoft. Um, they got Edel Edelman's data to do some stuff with this. And I, they interviewed around about 31,000 people in about 31 countries. So that's about 1,000 people per country. With this sort of survey, they wanted to find out how people had experienced the last 15 months. And what they discovered was that roughly about 41% of the people, they're considering leaving where they're working right now within the next year. That's a huge number. So that means that you're looking at 10 people working with you and basically four of them are thinking of leaving you. And maybe all of them might think of leaving if you haven't provided them a working environment that they're going to expect from now on. So we have to approach these things quite differently um, now. The way we're what way is going to work going to be? Is it going to be a hybrid model where we come in for two and stay home for three or go in for three and stay home for two? That's a discussion that employees really need to have with their employers. And we need to have a con candid conversation about, you know, what can happen and how can it happen? There are problems, though. And the problems would be the likes of um, organizations are going to say, well, I've got a 10-year lease on this office block. I'm obliged, you know, to sit within it. How can I get out of it? And I, I expect you guys to come into work. So really the pandemic has uh, raised some problems to be addressed. But who do you think is struggling the most in this situation right now? Definitely it's the Gen Zs, which are the 18 to 25 year olds seem to be. They're the ones that are struggling the most. It's been really, really difficult. They're the ones that probably entered the workplace and at the very early stage of their working life. Now many of them would have joined and been a part of teams that they've never even met. They've only met them virtually. And it brings us back to the whole idea of the belonging cues and the sense of, you know, connection that we get from being around other people. You know, we get that in real time. It doesn't happen on a virtual screen. You go up to Sweden and Sweden pretty much at 3 p.m. every day, they pretty much stop um, for a tea and a pastry break. It's called Fika. And it's just a really nice thing where people just stop what they're doing and they all come and they connect around the coffee and they connect around the pastry and they just chat for 10 minutes before they go back into work. We haven't had any of those Fika experiences over the last while. And those Gen Zers haven't had a chance to be able to, you know, ingratiate themselves into teams. It's been really, really difficult. And you got to remember, they're not sitting in their own houses, you know, choosing which room that they go to, uh, to, to work in today. They're probably sitting in their bedroom and could be a shared bedroom with somebody else. 
or they're in a shared house with a shared flat with somebody else when they don't have a choice. That's a that's been a really difficult situation. And what do you see is a possible solution, if any at all, to this situation? I think people have to be progressive and leaders are going to have to think really smartly on this. And as I said, I think they need to sit down and they need to talk to their employers about what they want from this. We've been going through a pandemic and trying to, you know, survive this pandemic and get through this pandemic and keep our families safe and all those other things while still trying to work and do all the other things that we do in life. And I think some companies have thought that, you know, you know, work has been a priority, but really when we've been trying to take care of our, you know, our parents, our grandparents and those loved ones around us and even ourselves, that's been a priority for, for most of us. So it's been a really difficult experience. Like 37% of those people that were uh, interviewed in that um, Microsoft uh, research paper was 37% of those people said companies were asking far too much of them. Yeah, and they, they felt just so under pressure. And this is only true, the, like the Microsoft emailing service, where they discovered from February 2020 to February 2021, there was an extra 40.6 billion emails were sent. Now, I get we sending more emails because we're not walking across to somebody's desk and handing them over, a, you know, a PDF or, a, you know, a bit of information. But it's it, it it just becomes so overwhelming for a lot of us. And we've had this really overwhelming experience. So consequently, now about 73%, which is, you know, pretty much three quarters of the people want more flexible working options to stay forever. They want this out of this. So some interesting stuff that w when you say, what, what are the solutions? I was looking at a really good article that Nick Marks had, had written. And Nick Marks has a wonderful company called Friday Pulse. And Friday Pulse, a really good organization that have put together this package um, for companies that say on a Friday, they can actually, by a series of questions that the employees ask, they can actually tell how happy the employees feel. And a report then is sent to their, to their leaders. And then the leaders on Monday then, can sit down and have a conversation with what went on the week before, why it happened, and, and what they can help them to be able to change. But what Nick Marks has, has said rightly is, our brains are, are, are not very good at predicting what we would feel like in the future. I agree. So even though we might be very nervous about going back into the workplace and thinking, I don't want to ever go and do that again, there might be really good benefits of us integrating back into the office or the working experience again and being around other people. And maybe what we need to do is we need to get those employees, let them choose when they want to come back, let them try a few days back in the workplace and then poll them and ask them, what was their experience like? What did it feel like? And then just keep repeating that. And that's a really good way to be able to, 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 to find out exactly what people are experiencing or feeling from the idea of coming back into the workplace. And then you're going to have to have a plan around what you do next. That sounds like a fantastic idea and a fantastic way of tackling this very current problem, challenge, let's call it, that we are facing, all of us, really, employers and employees. And of course, this Friday pulse is, is a way of measuring happiness, is a way of measuring how happiness at work could benefit the business as a whole. So there is hope in there. And thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for telling us about, about it and about various techniques, not just this one, of course, but various ways that we can engage better with, uh, with each other in a workplace to make it a happier place to be. And, and that, that is the key. And just before we do finish up, I think one of the keys that if there's any leaders out there listening to us, you have had to increase the number of one-to-ones that you've had from your staff over the past 15 months. And if you haven't, in many ways, that's a failure. 
because people have felt isolated and disconnected. And the best organizations have made a point of checking in with their people to see how they are. And not just on a work level, but on a human level of what they've experienced, what they're going through and how, you know, they can provide supports to be able to help them. I think those are the best leaders over the past 15 months. And that's something that needs to continue. In the same way that we're saying that breath is something that we all have within us, we also as leaders or as members of a team can prompt our team members and our leaders, our managers to say, I need a little bit more one-on-one. Could we have a chat? Could we, now that we don't see each other around the water area, around the coffee break areas, can we check in with each other through Zoom, online meetings, Teams, whatever it is that you use? So that that's a golden, golden advice. Thank you, Stephen, because I know it's common sense. But when we're all involved in our day-to-day, running around, trying to do a job, we don't really think about this a simple but very powerful solutions and um, that we have out there. So yes, thank you. So now, shall we slowly start to get ready for the second and last breathing exercise of this episode? I would like to invite you to join me in a three minutes practice with triangle breathing. This triangular breathing exercise is ideal for winding down after a full and hectic day. It has a very deep and calming effect. Like box breathing done earlier, this one involves visualizing a shape. This time it is a triangle which we will trace with our breaths. We will trace this triangle counting four to inhale, seven to hold at the top and eight to exhale always through your nose. Again, I will guide you through the whole practice so you don't need to remember it right now. But before we begin, let's arrive here on your chair or whatever you are listening to this podcast episode from. I invite you to sit relatively straight. Do not collapse your lungs and allow for the free flow of your breath through your body. Now let's close your eyes gently. Close your mouth and breathe calmly through your nose at your own pace without counting first. Let's do this two times. Inhale. Keep your eyes closed. Exhale. Your mouth closed. And once more. Inhale. Exhale. Let's start our triangular breathing. Inhale for four. Hold. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Exhale slowly. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Two, one. That's one round. Remember to breathe always through your nose. Let's draw three more triangles with the same rhythm. We inhale for four. Inhale. Hold. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Exhale slowly, slowly. Six, five, four, three, two, one. 
Thank you, Stephen, and thank you, everyone that has joined us today on our first episode of Wow at Work podcast. We hope to see you again during our next episode, soon to be released. So keep your eyes and ears open for when we come back. Ciao, guys. <laughs>